All right. I'm looking at the clock today as the hour changed, and it says 11.30, and I know a lot of you are getting uh, edgy and wanting to get on out of here if you're looking at that clock. But if you have watches or uh, telephones, phones, do they call these telephones anymore? But if you have that, it'll tell you that uh, the proper time is actually 10.30. So we're right on time. You guys did great. Because nobody showed up early, or would you even admit it? <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to read this. This is in our text today, then I'll come back. And of course, later we'll explain it. When you first read it, you go, what does that mean? But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? That's talking about searching. Taking a journey, making a quest. You've heard of people, um, whenever they search high and low for things, uh, maybe in your life you've lost things and you said, I searched high and low. Or people are searching for truth. And they go from one religion to the next religion to the next religion. They go from one philosophy to the next philosophy. And uh, so, you know, it seems like they never arrive at that truth, but they're, they're looking for it, wherever it may be. Uh, one end of the universe to the other end of the universe, people will go looking for that perfect religion or that perfect philosophy or whatever it is they are after, that perfect wisdom. And uh, you know, when it's said here in Romans 10, 6, and 7, it says, don't do that. Well, there are people who have ideas out there that are not of Scripture, and normally I don't quote anybody who is not a solid Christian unless I'm making a point. I'm going to make a few quotes here. Listen uh, very uh intently because what I'm reading is not our truth out of Scripture and then we'll come back and the rest of the game here that we do today is going to be the truth from God's Word. Uh, this is, uh, it says here, whose truth? Each of us are on our own independent journeys in the quest for truth. This could not have been conveyed better than these quotes could. Listen to these quotes. This is from Friedrich, or Friedrich Nietzsche. You have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it does not exist. Then we have something from David Kiersey. You and I are fundamentally different, and both of us have to march to our own drummer. Again, Friedrich Nietzsche, no one can construct for you the bridge upon which precisely you must cross the stream of life. No one but you, yourself alone. Oh, he had some sad statements. It's all on you. It's all on yourself alone. Nobody else is going to arrive at that. It's your journey. Then it's stated, therefore, the quest for truth must be carried out by each person individually. It is like breathing, something which no one else can do for us. And then we have some uh, philosophical definitions of what it is. And uh, then we have Aristotle here. 
to seek, explore, to analyze, and understand everything without judging or accepting. In between acceptance and unacceptance is where you understand. It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Well, that's true. But there are truthful thoughts, and we are to accept them. Uh, somebody says, we have to seek, not believe. Though belief, and through belief, we accept and shut the doors for other viewpoints or perspectives. But through seeking, we open up ourselves to all perspectives without judging any. Seeking does not have any end point. You know? How about this? This is from a guy by the name of Malcolm S. The purpose of education is to replace an empty mind with an open one. But if you open up the windows and you don't have a screen there, anything and everything can fly and will fly right on in. Uh, and so on and so forth. We have Socrates and such. But it says we're all on a journey of evolution with full possibilities and everything. So there's some of the ideas from the great elite of the intelligence of mankind. These are famous people are and highly respected by most. And I think of what our scripture says, and it says, you can search high and low for truth, but it's right here. It's right in front of you. And that's what we're going to be getting at today in this particular text as we go through it with what Paul is doing as he's quoting Moses. In the meantime, before we start a subsection that is um, carrying on with what he's been talking about all the way through, we have to remember the context. And context is everything whenever we're reading Scripture. It's anything. Uh, Paul is tracing the logical steps in the argument that he has. And... Actually, we're not going to be able to understand the meaning of our text today without knowing kind of where we have been. Because if you just zoom right in there and it says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? Or who will descend into the abyss? Don't say that. And you say, What does that mean? Have you guys ever read that one before? And go, What is that? And uh, it is a kind of a mystery. But when you go to the truth and you let Paul explain it and Moses explain it and you let the Holy Spirit explain it as we go through here, we should have this by the end of the day. What all this is is meaning. Now there is a connection from our text to the previous text. 8, 9, 10, and 11, chapter 8 was dealing with salvation. Salvation in its beauty and all of its fullness. A great chapter. And then we go into 9, 10, and 11, which really is connected to chapter 8, although most people would say, no, that is a parenthesis and it has nothing to do with chapter 8 or anywhere we've been. It's something different. It's kind of set in there apart. And, and Paul got on a rabbit trail and he started tracing through something that didn't uh, bring any legitimacy to what he's been saying. Well, I want to tell you that it is connected and it has everything to do with where we've been at in Romans because God is a very logical God in the sense that He is the Word and logic uh, comes from that. He is the Logos. 
Uh, he is God, right? And so whenever He communicates His logic to us, it all comes together and it makes sense. And we find out in uh, chapter 9, 10, 11, it's like, what about the Jews? And that's where Paul goes into this, giving an answer. And, you know, people would ask this, well then, if He didn't save all the Jews, then His purpose has failed. Right? He had a purpose, and not all Jews are going to be saved, as Paul elaborates here in chapter 9. And he will continue to do that, giving the answer in 9, and then in 10, and then 11. But you know, his purpose has not failed. This is exactly going the way that he had planned. It's his purpose. The Jew had believed that he would save everybody, but that is not the case, and that is the argument that Paul is uh, building up here in this section. And he elaborated in chapter 9 about election and the sovereignty of God, and he will choose and pick who he wants to be with him eternally. And uh, so we see great grace involved there, but also we see that there is condemnation. It is God's free choice. But at the end of chapter 9, we see why there is condemnation, because there is rebellion against God and there is a refusal of the Gospel. And so man is held responsible for that, although God is the potter and we are the clay. So there's more detail that's given in chapter 10. And that's where we're at this week. Two weeks ago, uh, we did the first four verses, and I think we took a vacation last week. We uh, had to have a little help in understanding the man John Calvin as we celebrated the Reformation. So we come back and uh, hit right in the text. That's why I'm kind of uh, doing a reminder here to set all this up and uh, our text will just flow right out of all of that, especially in, at the end of that first subsection in verse 4. That's where it's all coming off of. Paul is driving home. The very point of verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, or the goal of the law. That's where the law is really going for. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness or justice or justification according to everyone who believes. You have justification by faith. Have you noticed that's been the theme all through Romans? That was the theme of the Reformation. That should have been the theme all the way through Scripture. And it actually is in all through Scripture. And we are relying upon an absolute sovereign God. And that's where we have been. And what he is saying there, that is righteousness is based on faith. You have your outline, your bulletin there, it'll say righteousness based on faith. And that is right out of verse 4, and it's going to be explained here. Righteousness is based upon faith. It's not works. And that's, you know, we know, we've all heard all of our lives, Christian lives, is that it's, it's not works, it's by faith, right? And we're saved by grace through Faith. And justification by faith is continuing to be uh, up in front uh, as we continue to study this. And so he's proving that righteousness is by faith. Not it works at all. And believe me, everybody that's not a Christian is going to say, yeah, but 
uh, you know, uh, I've been pretty good, right? How often have we heard that? And they'll, they'll start giving you all the good things they have done. And they might even compare it with a few other sins, but they say that outweighs my sins, so therefore I'm going to heaven. That's the same problem the Jews had. So this brings us to verse 5, and what we're going to start off with is to contrast righteousness by works, which there is... Now hang on with that for a second. We'll explain that. There's two ways of salvation. Oh, we've got to be careful with that, right? But according to Moses, he was making a point, and Paul comes back and says, there's a righteousness by works. There's a righteousness... By faith. Okay, get it? And before, you know, we're, we're going to pray, and I'm going to try to come back there and cover that real quickly because if somebody is watching this or hearing this for the first time and they don't know us, they're going to say, oh, he just said there are two kinds or ways of salvation. And so you have to hang on with that. We are not heretics. <laughs> Let's pray. Great holy God, you are certainly awesome indeed. And we just adore you. Your truth is precious. We don't have to go to the east. We don't have to go to the south or the north, the west. We don't have to go to heaven. We don't have to go to the depths of the earth to find where truth is at. The truth is right in front of us. And Lord, thank You for showing us that because we could have a, a travel and a journey that would be wayward and we would go further away from You, even though it would be in the right idea of trying to get what is true. But You've already shown it. Now, as we look at this today, may we have better understanding about what righteousness by faith is with all the depth that's there. Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So the contrast. We have two points today. The contrast and then the content. The contrast of the two ways of salvation. If you have it on your outline, you say, there it is. See, he did it. Two ways of salvation. I always heard that there was only one. Well, there's only one right way. But there's other ways to God. People say that. But it's wrong. You know what? Those seekers of truth say you can't ever say that because you're making an absolute statement and we can never make an absolute truth statement. Then you guys aren't even really sitting here. If I want to make it out that way, to me, you guys really aren't here and I'm just imagining this. And you might be imagining that you're here. Have you ever had one of those kind of thoughts go through your mind as a kid and just pop up? You know, where did I get that? Well, you might have came up with it on your own or you might have heard people say that or maybe a school teacher or whatever. I'm saying if they're teaching, they're saying that, what are they doing teaching? They need to get out of that classroom and learn themselves what would be. Where they get that would probably be the, what would they learn from, from right here? Here's where your truth is at. So, uh, righteousness is based on the law of Moses, and you'll notice the next word that I have after that spaced out, impossible. We all know that, so that's the reason. Uh, I'm not giving anything away here, and I already know this. 
for anybody who wants to justify themselves by works, they need to examine right where they're at, right where we are at. They need to go into, they need to read the whole book of Romans. They can, they can start in chapter 10 if they like. They need to see if this be true of what we say. It is true because it is what God says. And so that's what we examine. Moses is describing righteousness which comes by the law. Now, be careful, be careful. I know we're okay with that. Paul uses the law, which is, in this case, it's going to be Leviticus. We're going to see that he's quoting from Leviticus this morning and also from Deuteronomy. Two texts. Has he been doing that recently? Yes, all the time. He makes his point, goes back, pulls it out of what the Jewish person would have known already in the law. If you like the law, here it is. Here's what it says about itself. And so therefore, don't ever use that idea that you are a good person. Uh, you are offending the holy God when you say that. You think you're righteous by the law? You really have to consider what God says about that. You have to consider it. Now let's go to this quote. Now we're in Romans 10, right? You know, I haven't read that whole text, but let's start right off here in verse 5. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, there's your righteousness from verse 4, which is based on law, not like our title, based on faith, shall live by that righteousness. And you know what he's saying there, don't you? Okay, if you're going to base it upon law, then you have to be perfect in every matter of the law. The whole law, everything, right? It's almost like he's putting a possibility. Okay, that's what you say. Do it. Well, chances are they've, well, not chances. The thing is, they've already broken it, haven't they? But what if God was saying from here on out? Okay, we'll, we'll put it that way. Leviticus 18.5 now. We go back to the law and this is what uh, Paul is quoting from whenever he says you shall live by that righteousness. Okay, you're going to do that. Fair enough. You're going to live by that righteousness. Leviticus 18. Verse 5. So, you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, that's the law, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. If you do my commandments, then you can live. Now, jumping ahead, you guys already know what the answer is. I'm taking it. And so we know that nobody can do that. Now, there is a principle here that Moses is telling the Israelites. And they will be going up to, uh, of course the law has been given, and they will be going up to where the promised land is. And he's preparing them so whenever you get ready to go across, you do what I have told you. And that is a key. You do it. If you do this, you will be blessed. It's a, there's a temporal aspect here of this obedience. If you obey me, I'll bless you. Now, when you look through the Old Testament, did God... 
do that? Did they do it? Yeah, they would be obedient for a time. What did God do? He would take all their enemies away from them. They would live in peace and prosperity. And everything would be given to them by God. And it was a great time period when that would happen. Um, and so uh, we know during the time of Solomon, all leading up to that time, you know, it was a very time, very much a time of peace and great prosperity. But all throughout the history, they, we know that what would they do after they were blessed? Then they would go back and do what they did before, get into idolatry, and not be obedient. It's just. That way, all the way through the Old Testament. We know there's a judgment eventually. They were temporarily blessed and then they would have judgment put upon them. Uh, We know that obedience does not save, does it? You're saved by grace. And you say, well, why do we have to be obedient? Well, you see, it's a mark of a believer though. According to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, We will have works to do. He will give those to us to do as we've already become Christians. We are believers. Now we desire to obey. And that's a whole idea. We desire. And we obey most of the time. But you see that the the promise was made in particular points in history. And we see that God did give them temporal blessings, temporal peace, prosperity. It was a good thing. And then there would be judgment. And over and over again, over and over again. That's the Old Testament. All through the prophets, we see that happen. So, God is telling them, this is the deal. So that is what Paul is picking up here in Romans 10. He uses the idea of Moses. The only thing is, what does it always prove? The Israelites never really continued to obey, did they? They temporarily did it, but not consistently. And so therefore, we see that God has to make a judgment. We know that's simple, that's easy, that's kind of the um, principle that's laid out. The man who does them, they, they will live by it. When you go into that other land that I'm giving you, Everybody else is different. I want you to be different than the Egyptians. I want you to be different than the Canaanites and all the otherites, right? And so they have to be different. How are they different? They follow what He has commanded. Ten Commandments. Just that in itself. Follow the Ten Commandments. Well, did they really ever do it? They proved that they couldn't do it. Uh, All they had to do was do what He told them. Keep the law. Did they possess the law? Yeah, the law was given to them. God didn't give it to any other nation. He gave it to the Jews at that time. So they had possession of the law. But this is not about possession of the law so much as it is actually living it out. Speaking it. Doing it. Living it. So he says, you have the law, but have you kept it? Doers of the law are justified? We have some text in the Bible that seems if we're obedient, He'll save us. If we're not obedient, then we lose our salvation. Well, that has nothing to do with the Bible or Romans 8 or any other where else, does it? 
Uh, but it says the doers of the law are justified. Scripture will say that. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And they could point that Scripture out right there. See that? It's the doers of the law. Well, um, it's stated like that. Of course, we need to see the context, but let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. You know what? I think Martin Luther would be proud of us today. <laughs> uh, law and grace, right? We must know the difference between the two, but we all must also know the two go together. Don't have time to explain that for now. But Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. It's a good scripture to give somebody that says that, right? No one is justified by the law before God. For the righteous man shall live by faith. There's another Reformed verse. It's a sola, isn't it? Sola fide. Justification by faith alone. You see, that goes along with our Romans passage, doesn't it? The righteous man shall live by faith. But they were going to live by the law. But they didn't understand fully what the law was supposed to do and what it was about. Look at James chapter 2, verse 10-11. Here's where the Roman church will go and say, Yes, we know what Paul says about salvation. And they believe in a works... Grace salvation. Works faith salvation. That means you have faith, but you also have to have that faith. Or believe you also have to do works, right? So James 2, 10 and 11 here, and it sure looks like this would go with that kind of theology. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. That he is the idea of adultery and Murder, right? Uh, so there it is from from James there. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit a murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you get into stealing. Have you ever stolen a pencil? Yeah, of course. Well, that, what does that make you? A thief. You ever had... Lust in your heart, but you didn't really commit the adultery? What's that make you? An adulterer. Uh, get into lying and thieving, murder and adultery, and you go on through and you understand, right, that, wow, that's a different way to interpret what that really means, isn't it? But uh, go to Luke chapter 10, 25 through 29. 
I know I'm speaking really loud today, and I've got this thing in my throat. Some call it a, like a frog in the throat. I'm at least able to get it out, but I sometimes have to really push it out. So that's why I'm a loud talker, even though I was always loud before I ever dealt with this thing. Now, here is a lawyer. He comes up to Christ. It says in verse 25, A lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Christ, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. First two commandments really is what it really is. I mean, it's the, the whole law wrapped up in these two commandments. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That sounds like our text today. The guy is saying, hey, you know, really, I think I've actually followed the law. I'm a lawyer. I know the law. I, you know, what, what, what does it take? What does it take for an heir to eternal life? You know, there was a rich young ruler that said the same thing. And the thing is, what you get an answer back is, really, it's dealing with self-justification. It says in verse 29, but wishing to justify himself. And he said to Jesus, "Uh, who is my neighbor? Go off on another tangent there. But you see, he, he said, okay, okay, live out. What that is, what he's really pointing to is that he needs to confess and say, oh, I'm guilty. I have broken the law. Because he never loved God with every ounce of his being his whole life. He was guilty. And he never really loved his neighbor as himself. And maybe he was a really good guy. The thing is, a lot of people treat their neighbors not so good. And that's the idea. It's to show him that he had already broken the law. He just gives him two commandments. He could have gone through all ten of them, couldn't he? Could have shown that what that was. And you know, it's sad. This man really uh, fires back with justifying himself. And so did the rich young ruler. Because, you see, he couldn't do what the Lord said. And really what it came down to is following the Lord with all His heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or it's just following Christ in everything. It meant giving up things, and that's really where it hit Him, and that's why He walked away. Um, Who knows what happened later. All I can tell you is that's sad because that's where people are at. They justify themselves. The moment you tell them that if you haven't repented and confessed of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, what does that mean? Well, they're not going to heaven. And when you tell them that, either they will say, I'm guilty. What must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But if they start justifying themselves, they are going against the very grain of what the Scripture says. You cannot justify this lawyer here. You cannot justify anybody 
that says, yeah, but I've done this and done... It means nothing to God. So that's the kind of the idea. The doers of the law seem to be justified, but Paul argues, have you kept the law? You have to keep the whole of the law. What the law is saying, that is, if you keep the law, you are righteous before God. If you live this kind of life, you are saved. We already know that nobody can do that. Israel was a a, a glaring example for hundreds and hundreds of years. Thousands of years. People couldn't keep that law. It's impossible. It can't be done. Look in Romans 3, verse 20. You see, Paul has been arguing this all along. And I got a feeling his whole gospel message focused on right what we're talking about here because every Jew is going to say, hey, there's no problem. I don't have to believe in Jesus. I'm a Jew. <laughs> what was Jesus? He was a Jew. And he said, you're not saved unless you follow me. He said, the way is very narrow. The way is impossible. So we have uh, uh, Romans 3.20 Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Bingo! We got the answer right there. That is what it's for. There are other things for the law, but mainly it's to show that one is a sinner and they need Christ. Galatians says that we need a tutor. We need a teacher. That's what the law is. It takes us to school and shows us what position that we really are in. And this is what Paul is saying about the Jews. Gentiles too, but in this case in Romans, the Jew who had the law. And uh, so that's the idea. Jesus clarified all this in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't He? That's what He did. He made it very clear, very plain. Somebody says, I've not committed adultery. And He says, oh yeah? Have you ever looked upon a woman and lusted? See, the Pharisees reconstructed the law to make it fit their own style of life. But Jesus showed them exactly how the law condemns them. And no man will be justified in his sight by any kind of activities. Righteousness based on the law, would you say, is absolutely impossible. So when people are telling you that, you can be resting assured that what they're saying is that unless they change their mind, they're not going to heaven. They might say they are. Where do they get the idea? You cannot get righteous in that way. See, the whole idea is this. How can I be right before a holy God? That's what every person ought to be asking. If He's so high and lifted up and exalted and takes a high position, the highest of all, then how can I ever dream to ever be righteous before this One who is the Holy? I can't. It should make you feel guilty, shouldn't it? 
That's what it does. Whenever one realizes what God is really asking them to do, whenever He says, follow my law, do the Ten Commandments, if they're realizing it right, they're realizing that they cannot and they will not do it. So, the Jews never saw the purpose of the law and what the law said about the question of righteousness. They thought they were righteous. Were the Pharisees righteous? Oh, yeah, according to their thought. But is it righteousness by faith? No, they didn't believe in Christ. So now, that was the one that was impossible. Righteousness by works, impossible. Now we get to the next verse in our Romans passage here in 10, and it's righteousness that is based on faith. And that's our title today. And it's coming off of verse 4, for Christ is the goal of the law. He's the goalpost. Uh, he is the one who finishes it, completes it. He is the one that completed the law. Teleos. It's the very fulfillment of the law. He is that. Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jew, Gentile. If you believe, you get righteousness. Righteousness by faith. It's actually by grace. Through faith. But that's the idea. The righteousness to everyone who believes. So we get to the contrast and now we get to the right answer. We've been looking at the wrong answer. This is the right answer. Why does Paul refer to Deuteronomy? Um, here in chapter 10, as so often we see him quoting from the law, quoting from Moses. And it says in verse 6, and this is the text that I read earlier, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Okay. And here's where he goes off and does Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now what was the other passage? It was Leviticus, which is the law. Is Deuteronomy the law? Yes, it is. He's quoting from the law. What better place to go than to give the law to prove that his argument is right. If you're going to be talking about the law, where do you go? Let's go to the law. Let's see what Moses said. Did they respect Moses? Yes. Did they believe in the law? The Pharisees? Absolutely. So he says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. For what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith, which we are preaching. It's easy. Uh, we already know that we're saved by grace through faith and works and law. We've been through Romans and such. We say, do we have to spend so much time on this? We already know that. But are you seeing some depth here? If you just read this for the first time or read it a couple or three times, would you know what it's saying? Well, with our context, now it's saying, yeah, it's real easy. It is. Paul doesn't quote this exactly. And he can say, boy, he misquoted that. No, he didn't. Because what he's writing is the Word of God. And he's quoting the Word of God. But most often, Paul will use parts of a verse to prove what this is. Now, 
he does use context, but we have to be really careful. You can say he's misquoting and he's not. But he uses the part of the verse to show this is where we are at. Here's the context and such. They would know. He's making a point. It's not in the precise words here, but it does work with what he is talking about. Moses was addressing the Israelites. At this time, he's, this is the giving of the, the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy. Uh, whenever you hear like uh, somebody's going to do a duet. What's that mean? Two people, right? Duo. Duet. Deuteronomy. Onomy. Um, is dealing with law. So you take it from the Greek, it means what? Two. Law. Second law. It's really based upon the first one, but it's the second giving of the law. You'll find something that's very similar to the first giving of the law. But it drives home the point, and he ends by saying this. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Showing there's two ways. Let's go to Deuteronomy and see that. Deuteronomy 30, starting at verse 11. Paul is a genius when he's inspired by God. And, you know, he holds no punches. He brings it right to him. Starting at verse 11 in Deuteronomy 30. For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you. It's not impossible for you. Nor is it out of reach. Like going to heaven, going from one end of the universe to the other, or going down to the abyss. And so he uses this right here. It is not in heaven that you should say... Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Who can go up all the way to heaven and get this truth? You know, in this where we can obey it. And, and Paul is saying, don't even say that. And here, this is what Moses is saying. It's not too difficult. You don't have to go there. So he uses heaven. That's as far as you can go, isn't it? Out in the universe and past the universe, all right? Nor is it beyond the sea. Now, Moses used to sea here. And that's why I say it sounds like a little different because he uses what is equivalent to an abyss or to the grave. You'll see different translations. But it's still the same thing. A sea is endless or it's almost like an abyss. It, it doesn't matter. We get the point. He's giving you two ideas. From heaven all the way to the sea or from heaven all the way below the earth. Okay, don't say that's where you're going to have to go to get this. So, uh, Moses says in 13, Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? What does he say in verse 14? But the Word is very near you. In your mouth and in your heart, two key terms, that you may observe it. He's saying it's, it's right here. It's right in front of you. 
This is where the truth is at. You don't have to go anywhere to try to get it. You don't have to go from one seminar to another seminar, from one conference to another conference, trying to get ultimate truth. It's right here. This is where it's at. Isn't that great? It's good to know that, isn't it? Now, is it okay to go to Bible conferences? Absolutely. I'm not saying that, am I? But there are people that go from one end to the other to try to get some kind of spiritual truth that has nothing to do with Christ, something that nobody has. The Gnostics, what were they about? They were identifying with Christianity only. They had a secret. They were in the know. Gnostic deals with knowledge. They had the knowledge. Reminds me of today, you have a group called the Masonic Lodge. And the Masonic Lodge have degrees in their knowledge. Yeah. And if you get all the way to 33rd degree, you've made it. Man, it's like you've made it, man. You've got to work yourself up that ladder. But you don't tell it to anybody because this is secret. God's truth is not secret. God's truth is right here. It's before the whole world. He's revealed who He is to everybody. But there are two responses to it. And that's why next verse, and I already kind of commented on this just a while ago. Verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. So you got a slash right after life and prosperity. The next one is death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to love Him, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. The second giving of the law, right here, they're now getting ready to go into that promised land. Finally, after 40 years, now we're in Deuteronomy, right at the end of this, you'll see that Moses is giving his last counsel to the people. He's going to die before he goes into the promised land. And that's where you get Joshua, Caleb. They are not afraid to go in there, right? Uh, first time, the people didn't want to go in because they were afraid. There's giants there. Let's go back to Egypt. And now it's been a test. You have a lot of different Israelites now, a different generation. It's time to go in. And Moses here is saying this. That's what he said in Leviticus. That's what he said all along. He's talking about knowing God and loving God. It's, it's all about who God is. That's why we want to do the commands because they're good for us. When they went into the land, they thought they had God, and uh, guess what? They started forgetting about Him after they defeated the enemies and everything, started really relaxing back and say, this is the life, and uh, they got into all the things that they 
their possessions about material uh, things and then also the other gods of the other nations that had been around. And There you go. God already had told them. He warned them. And what Paul and what Moses are saying is, now you cannot say that you didn't know that that you might say, well, how would we to know that? I mean, come on, you know. I mean, he, he, he should have revealed himself some way. He already has. It's there. The truth is before their eyes. God is not fair. Remember in Romans 9, God is not fair. You see, it's not terribly difficult. Salvation. You see, it's been made clear. It's been made very much to be able to see the truth. It's right in front of you. It's clear. And so Paul in Romans 10 uses Moses to really, he's kind of showing here's the law, but obey God. God is everything to you. He's you know the very first, right, as far as commands are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And they said that every day that you did, didn't know what it meant. And so Paul is challenging them here, but it would work for any Gentile, wouldn't it? Especially ones who proclaim to be Christians. So um, he takes this up from Moses, he applies it, I, I do believe, with absolute precision. Clear as a bell. He says, okay, if your righteousness is based on faith, it speaks like this. It's a preacher. Here's what the preacher is saying. This, and it's the righteousness by, by faith. Do not say in your heart, don't say this. Well, who will ascend into heaven? Who will go as far as they can out that way? Or who will descend into the abyss? That's to bring... Christ up out of there as He's being resurrected. Because if we're talking about Christ, then that would come up and the whole issue is we don't have to go to heaven to see Christ. We don't have to go down to where He was in the grave or in the tomb to get Christ. And then He says, but what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's what Moses said in that text. Your mouth your heart. He's going to very quickly get into confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So don't go on some kind of a journey. There's no need to do that. You've got the truth. So righteousness by faith is the very opposite of righteousness by works. That's what they're doing. They are spurning the very thing that God has given them that they have right in front of their face. They know what it is. Don't say in your heart, who may ascend into heaven or descend into the deep. There's no need to go on that kind of journey or make a quest. Go on some investigation. Find some kind of wisdom somehow. Don't do that. Do not say that. We don't have to climb into the heavens. He's clear, isn't he? You have to go to the depths to find the truth. No need to do that. Righteousness of faith does not require 
a quest or a journey. I'm searching it out. I'm searching for it. I don't have it together, but I'm searching. Yes, but I told you the gospel. Oh, but I need to learn some of the ways of the East. I'm going to try that for a while. I wonder how many religions are based out of the Eastern thought. You see, there's no need to search, number one. Number two, the way of salvation is not impossible. Right? It's not impossible. Did you know that Job talked about searching for wisdom? In Job 28... Job is just before the Psalms. Job 28. Whenever I said Psalms, you'll never believe where I turn to. <laughs> you know, we do well. Uh, and I'm not going to read all these verses. We're going to wind up near the end, uh, right at the end, verse 28. But just some key words that are brought out in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? And where the place of understanding? Where, where is it? A lot of people are looking for that. You know, Nietzsche. All the philosophers, right? Some of the ones that we've read about earlier as we started this message today. Man doesn't know its value, nor it's found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says that it's not with me. He talks about gold and silver. You don't find it there. How about the onyx, sapphire, coral, crystal, topaz of Ethiopia? And then he says, where is it that wisdom comes from? People have checked all this out. They have all the money. They've worked out the greatest jobs. They've done this and done that. And of course, Solomon did all that stuff. Found uh, you know that that having all the women in the world doesn't do it. All the drugs, all the drinking. He tried it all. He had everything, and he had everything at his fingertips that he could whatever he wanted. He got the richest man probably ever lived in this world, as far as material goods are concerned. And then in verse twenty-eight, here it is. And to man he said, "Behold, the fear of the Lord is wisdom." And to depart from evil is understanding. There you go. That is truth. That is wisdom. That is God. Because wisdom doesn't come from any other treasury. It's all from God. Aren't you glad you don't have to go around trying to find out all the religions and what they believe and then pick one? I always uh, use this example. There was a group that I used to really like back in the 70s. It's a group called Kansas. Incredible. Instrumentally, vocally, and at one time they were the number one touring band in all the world. And uh, they were tremendous. I saw them several times. And uh, there was a guy by the name of Kerry Livgren. He played guitar. He wrote many of the songs. One of them that he wrote was called Dust in the Wind. And he came to the conclusion, all we are is dust in the wind. You know what? He's right. Amen. There's a problem. <clears throat> he didn't have the answer. So you know what he did? He started searching all over the known world. Searching all the religions. 
so that he can come to the truth because he knows, okay, Christianity is here in America. I've heard about that. Let's, let's try Buddhism. Let's try Hinduism. All the isms and schisms and the fisms. They, you know, he tried them all. And so what happened as a result of that? It's interesting. God got his attention through a group called Louisiana LaRue and uh, one of the uh, main writers in that group was writing, actually riding R-I-D-I-N-G on a train and uh, to the next gig and also Carrie Livgren of Kansas and then they were on the same train and the Christian from Louisiana LaRue brought him to this truth and he had searched everywhere but it had always been before him all we are is dust in the wind he discovered it and he found the, what the answer was. God gave it to him. And he was very vocal after that, starting writing songs in Kansas. And a lot of the guys in Kansas, especially the lead singer, says, oh no, there's no way I'm singing that. <laughs> and of course, he gave him the gospel and everything. He had nothing to do with what Carrie was now into. And uh, needless to say, the group kind of broke up, and it got back together, broke up, and got back together. But Carrie Livgren was always the main part of that group, as he wrote and did uh, the guitar work and all the chords and everything that dealt with it. What are we saying? He found out the fear of the Lord. He found out God was holy. Okay. Also, righteousness of faith does not require a quest. It does not. You don't need to search. Uh, it actually is dealing with salvation is not impossible. It demands no effort on our part. It's provided. It's provided for by Jesus. Fourthly, the Word is near you. The Word is near anybody. To everyone who believes. That's the key. To believe this. You see, Christ who was in heaven, already came here to earth. People want to go to heaven to find out the truth. And then He was put in the grave underneath the ground and He came back up and He resurrected. We have the person of Christ and His incarnation. And the person of Christ who resurrected. We have the embodiment of a person who is the truth who is the way, the life. He's already come down. He has resurrected. And you can say, well, what do I do? And the Philippian jailer said that to Paul. And what did Paul say? Did he start going through Romans? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe that He came to earth and was killed. He died He was buried and He came back to life. And that's how we get justified because of that. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Is that the message? Now, we have done most of our time on what these few verses say. There is content. These we've gone over many, many times, but I'll just give you a quick review. The content of saving faith here, you'll notice... And by the way, Paul ended in verse 8, that's the word of faith which we are preaching. 
he quoted he quoted De- uh, Deuteronomy. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to go from heaven to hell or whatever, right? And he says it's as near as your mouth and your heart. And then Paul says this: that's the word of faith which we are preaching, which we are Caruso preaching to proclaim. The Word of God. You know what we're doing today? We're preaching the Gospel. We're preaching the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Here is the content. Verse 9 is written from the standpoint of a man making a statement about himself as a Christian. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, confess. Homo legeo. Homo homo sane. Logeo to speak. To speak or to say. Put the two words together. To say the same thing. What you're doing is when you're confessing, you know what you're really doing? You are saying the same thing that God says. Homologeo. That's a good one to remember. I'm agreeing with God. Whenever I confess my sin, I'm agreeing with God that it's sin. And that He's holy. And I repent of that. I'm agreeing with God. Whenever we do a confession, we're agreeing with God about who He is. Or what the church is about. What the Holy Spirit is about. All those different elements in that confession of faith that we do every week. We are saying the same thing that God says right here in the Word. That's why we call it a confession. We are confessional. Did you guys get that? There are a lot of churches today will say, we never believe in creeds and confessions. And they're absolutely wrong. You say, oh, we shouldn't. I mean, why do we don't need those creeds and confessions? Well, then we don't need the Word of God, then do we? Those are the Word of God put in a condensed version saying, this is what we believe. We don't have time enough in a day, all day Sunday, to go over all the doctrines of Scripture. But here's what we're saying today. And we confess that. We say it with the Lord, right? Those are teaching tools. That's what confession is. And there are churches who will take pride that they don't have a confession. Any church that's a church has to have it whether they say it or not. Because here's why they are meeting here. Here's what we believe. That's what creed means. You have to have something like that. Whether you have it written down or not, you have to believe. These are historical creeds or historical confessions. And it's what the church has always believed. What the church has believed for 2,000 years. Those are important. That's why we, the Reformation picked up on confessions. And so we're believing the exact same thing that they did because they showed what Scripture said about it. Because they were not doing those things before until they were converted. It's all about grace. So the content here, Jesus is Lord. Christianity is an objective truth. There's the word objective. It is not subjective, it's objective. It has truth. Who is the object? Christ. 
It's about Him. We do not say, well, I just... What do you believe? I just believe whatever the church believes. What does the church believe? Well, they believe whatever the pastor believes. What does the pastor believe? And then you go in this circle. Because they don't really know what they believe. If they don't know what they believe, they don't have a belief. And so therefore, they're not really a believing Christian. If they can't tell you what they believe, what do you believe? All Christians have to at least do this. I told you already that it's very, very simple. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You have to believe that He came here, that Jesus is God, that He rose from the dead. And that is the whole content. They are two absolute essentials. If somebody says, yeah, I confess that Jesus is Lord, but I want to tell you though, I can't really come around in my mind's thinking that He really came back from the dead. That they killed Him and He rose up. And I've heard missionaries come back and they came in my store and they said, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people that really didn't believe that He, was in a resur- uh, that he resurrected, but I know that they're, they're Christians. And I go, how do you figure it? And I take the resurrection passages. What is resurrection Easter is all about, right? What is that all about? You know, I'd say to them, well, he's got some things in the head that's really bothering him right now about that, and he just can't come to that. I said, well, he hasn't come to the truth of what it says here to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. They don't believe the gospel. They don't. They don't believe the gospels. They don't believe the Old Testament which speaks of resurrection, and as in Job, they don't believe any of the Gospels, they don't believe any uh, of the letters by Paul, or any, all the way on through. I mean, resurrection is, is the heart of the matter. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Do you remember that in Exodus 3, burning bush, you have Moses there and God, and he says, uh, who can I say who you are? What does God say? I am. What is I am? Well, you go to another text in Exodus 6, 2 through 4, and I am is Yahweh. Or you have the Tetragrammaton, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We've gone over this many, many times, but that means God. And when you see those letters, sometimes Lord means one who's sovereign and over, but there is a sovereign Lord in the sense that He is God, He is Yahweh. Yahweh. I am means I am. I exist. He is the self-existing eternal one. What more do we have to brag about than that? To know the self-existent eternal one who is the king of the universe. Boy, what do we have to brag about? Everything. That is the emphasis of what we are confessing that He is uh, Lord, He's Yahweh. Look in Colossians chapter 1. We're getting ready to close this now. But let's just look in Colossians 1. Oh, I love this section. This is talking about Christ. Did Christ create? Yes, He did. Is Christ God? Yes, He is. Who created the earth? God did. Then Christ did. Colossians 1 verse 15 he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the, the prototakos, the preeminent of all creations. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, preeminent, Potatakis from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place, preeminence in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Was well, that deity or what? And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. What a way to just to close a message right there. And I'm not going to do it yet. Hebrews chapter, <laughs> chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, this is glorious. I love these high exalted passages. In these last days, verse 2, has spoken us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world, and He is the radiance, the brilliance of His God's glory, and the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. Wow, you can go on and on and on. Jesus made claims. Before Abraham was, I am. What was I am? God. Before, but He's saying I existed before Abraham. He's self-existent. He is eternal. He's before that. So, Jesus made claims that He was God. He also taught in the way that only God could in Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29. Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished these words, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, quite a sermon, wasn't it? The crowds were amazed. They were blown away. Their socks just got blown out of their sandals. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes who were the elite. Not like them. It was way beyond them. It was the authority of God. Because He was God. He is God. And then by His miracles... And he got the power to do that. And of course, I'm not going to take the time. You have some scriptures there. But by his miracles, by his teachings, and of course, what's coming up is believing in your heart. We're in Romans 10 again, right? That God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That takes a lot for somebody somebody with a, an intelligence that goes through the roof to believe that God came here to earth and then was killed and then raised back from the dead. You cannot believe that when the Lord has made an imprint into your heart with a regeneration. But He says, if you do that... Now, this is how the man is ever able to speak in his confession. You confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. He is God. By the way, back at this time, he's writing to the Romans. And what did everybody else say? Caesar is Lord. If you say that, you're okay. If you say Jesus is Lord, you get arrested. And probably killed later on. 
Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Jesus is. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You see, there's the proof. This is how a man is ever able to speak as he does. So the believing is the thing that comes first. Believing in the heart. A true, heartfelt manner. And so I say, well, I have, it in the, I have a burning in my bosom. I have a burning in my heart. And it's all, this is how I feel. No. Remember, this is objective. Our faith is based on objective truth. And if you do anything on apologetics, it's all dealing with objective proof. And the resurrection is where you start. That's where all the apostles started. Peter started. Um, and Jesus always said, whatever comes out of your mouth is what comes from the heart. So really it's a heart issue and then you speak it. You only confess because your heart has been changed. You've been regenerated. You can say it now because something has happened to you. And it will be automatic. Show me a Christian who does not speak about Christ, who does not even make a confession. He says, well, I just believe in my heart. But I don't have to tell it to anybody. What do you think about that? says, confess with your mouth because what has happened to you. You'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. He's showing what's in his heart. It shows that there's salvation here and then he winds it up. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Do you believe in Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and everything? See, I was going to go through some resurrection passages. Don't have enough time. If you look through Acts every time, it will be mentioning about the resurrection. That is the key to the Gospel. He died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. That's all the part, the meat of it. Now, Jesus is the Son of God. And He's the Lord of glory. How can I be sure? He rose from the dead. 500 witnesses. And we can go through all of that. We don't have the time. Right? We can go through... Why why did the apostles not want to be around Jesus when He was at the cross? They fled. They're scared to death. Then why is it all of a sudden after the time of Peter and they're filled with the Spirit... They're bringing out truth everywhere in the church all of a sudden, you know, by the thousands every day. And what are they preaching? Christ crucified and resurrected. And that's their message, along with all the depth that goes with it. And that's substitutionary atonement, right? That deep word, justification by faith. Why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. They're substitutionary. He justified us whenever it was done. In Romans 3.24 I think this is the last verse I go to. This is what it means for us today. 23 All sin shall fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we just keep on going through there and He talks about propitiation. This is all about substitutionary atonement 
why Jesus died and such, and then you get into verse 26, for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness, Christ's righteousness, at the present time, so that He would be just, He is the just one, and the justifier of who? Of the one who has what? That's our word for the day. Faith in Jesus. He died for sins. He resurrected that we be justified. And He promises that we too will get glorified bodies. He's proven it. It's no matter why it's saying, I believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that is what we say to the lost person. All that He is, when you say Jesus, not your own Jesus, but the Bible Jesus. Anyway, thank you for bearing with me as we went through what I think is a precious text. We have righteousness that actually is based on faith. Believing. And then later he'll get to the calling. How's anybody going to believe? Unless you have calling. Great God in heaven, thank you that here right here on earth we can look at truth. You've just given it to us. It is all around us. It reflects your very glory. Your truth is in your word, the word of faith. It has been spoken. It's been preached. It's continued to be preached all the way to the time that you come back. And what a truth this is that we have. All of us are to be preachers of this glorious Gospel that we have just looked at. It's not by works, but it's all by grace through faith that you've granted us that we can say we believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, by the way, Tuesday is uh, Election Day. Everybody knows about that. And uh, there are tables back there that give us a lot of helps on uh, maybe some issues. Maybe you already know I'm voting for the right people. Uh, There's only one. Hey, I, I cannot agree with anything on the Democratic side. There's no use to even mess with that time. I think you guys know that because all of them are against things that we are, and that starts with life. And that's what a stance is that's made on and many other things. So as I say that, I know we're not supposed to say that. Legally, I have understood, and I don't believe it, but we can't say this in our church. Well, that's what the Puritans did for many, many years. They told them who was right and who was wrong. So, But there are other issues, uh, and it's dealing with the Constitution. There again, somebody, when they're starting to mess with the Constitution... Um, read it for yourself, but uh, that almost looks like a no. Uh, and uh, anyway, we have a lawyer here. If you want to uh, see what the lawyer aspect is on that, uh, <laughs> she gathered this stuff up, and it's it's read very very readable, and yet it's legal. So make and here's what I say: make the choice for yourself. I'm just saying, a Christian, and obviously I know all you guys, there's no way that you'd vote for somebody that would be against God. So, therefore, I don't have to tell you who to vote for. 
you already know there's only one party. And I'm not so sure that everybody in that one party is very right sometimes, no. too. <laughs> but I'd much rather take the righteous way, at least what it's standing for, versus the other way. Anyway, what to tell you about that. Uh, there were, was it given out last Sunday or was it Tuesday that the newsletter? It was Tuesday. Okay. So, you guys don't have the newsletter. It's right up there on the big t round table. Is it still up there? And please grab those. That's for the month of November. Then Sunday, next Sunday. Next Sunday. Some ladies have gotten together and would like to have a meal for next Sunday. I think they're thinking more soup and sandwich kind of idea or whatever works with what's in your pantry. <laughs> yeah. So we'd like to do a meal next Sunday is what we're saying. Yeah. That's next Sunday. Next Sunday is the meal. Uh, should we send out text or emails in the middle of the week? He's going to put it on Facebook, just to remind us. All right. But all the details. Details are the spring food and eating food. Food yeah. and appetite. Yeah. This is a Providence meal. It's not blood, pot, pot like, right? It's a Providence oh, meal. They used to tell me to bring the dish. No, it's it's like, I said, Phil, not here. I didn't say, I didn't say dish. I said food. <laughs> 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 not an empty pot. Not an empty dish. Put something in it. Right? Oh, by the way, let's pray for the, all the elections for local and then all the way through the federal government. All of those important. That's what the churches be doing, right? Yeah. And um, Daniel, would you want to pray? Sure. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We have an important time coming up in our country, Lord, and we we thank you for the blessing of being able to to vote, being able to voice our opinions, and being able to stand for your statutes and your laws, be a voice in a government that is turning further and further away from you, Lord. We know that you are sovereign over all, and that whatever happens is happening according to your plan. And we see that when we read the Bible, especially throughout the Old Testament, Lord, that you'll raise up wicked rulers to judge a nation, and you'll raise up righteous rulers to bless a nation, Lord. And we just pray that during this election season, that your people would get up and vote and stand for righteousness, and stand for your, for your truth, Lord, stand for life, especially... That is a, a key issue on the ballots this year. Lord, I pray for all those who will be elected. Just pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that they would seek your wisdom and your word, Lord, because that is the only objective truth that is in this world today. Lord, whether they, they aren't Christians who get elected, Lord, we pray that you would bring someone in their lives to preach the gospel to them, that they might repent and believe in you. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up Christian leaders to step into this government and get this nation back on track. Just thank you for all the blessings you've given us, Lord. And whatever comes of it, please help us all to stand in your strength for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank <laughs> you.
in the meantime, he, uh, uh, I can't remember what the one is that I, that we have, but I'm sure you know. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's like rep camp recording. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like, that's what, uh, what you do to your computer. Anybody else feel like, well, on Sunday, I got a little bit crazy for here. Walked through like that on the porch and went down. You do more on it than if you need some kind of editing, spelling, and that kind of thing, or maybe I know it's, I know it's where I I know I quoted a lot of stuff from the Bible, but then I, now I want to go through and actually put those quotes in. Like, where is this at in the Bible? Like, like when they like I quoted that the enemy will prowl about. I mean, that's in the Bible. It's just got to find it, and I got to put it as word for word. I just was doing it from memory. That's all I was doing. I just didn't know where it was at in the Bible. Uh, real quickly, you can go on your on your phone and you've got the coordinates in there real quickly. Just put up 
a little bit of that phrase that you did right there, it'll pop right back up. Matter of fact, I used to use Strong's Concordance all the time. Get the book out, turn this, and now I just go like that, and I'm looking about three seconds, I've got it. Yeah, I just go on Google, I'm like, I don't remember the first reference, I'm just typing right, right think it is, click on it, click, okay, that's what it is. It's amazing how quick it, it, it's like it's reading your mind. I'm going, man, that, that is a good but I, system but I'm to going, have. I'm going to have to, like, tweak it, too, especially with, like, the games I want to play, because I had a capture card, and I was telling them this earlier. I have a capture card that I plug into my uh, game console, and it's supposed to feed the video and audio. It's not feeding the audio. So it's a game that is just completely visual, and with certain younger audiences, it's like it's not going to keep their attention if it's just silent. <laughs> and just me talking. And little background music or little background anim uh, animation music is, it keeps people keeps their attention in a way, so that's why I was like, now i got to send that back, I've already asked for a refund, I have to go send it to UPS, because my wife started scrolling through all the all the comments on, on, on uh, Amazon, they're all like, nope, doesn't give no audio, that's everybody's issue, and so, that's, I have to give it back, and i got to find another one, and actually, I talked to my, uh, my cousin, which is on my mom's side, um, and uh, he said that there is like a premium brand, and they never have any issues, but th there's a price tag on it. So that's a pretty, pretty big. Price yeah, keep tag. your prices down right now. That's um, what I'm doing. That um, extra little quality is nice, but you don't have to have but that. Avell gave me a, advice and said, just go with what I have. Just, just stream live. Just go ahead and stream live and record it. I know it's not going to be the greatest, but then. It, because I well, it gives you some practicing, you get a live effect on it, and you know, something that um, a camera will scare you to death at first. I don't know why. You can be in a room with nobody else, and all of a sudden, you yeah, yeah, that's And so, what you can do is go again, and whatever you want, if you've got capability to wipe all that other out, then which you will, just do that. You know, like take two. Yeah. You don't even have to stop or anything, just do that's, another that's one, cut it out later. That's what I'm going to do, and that's probably where I'm going to, and that's where I want to, that's what I was thinking also here too, closer to the end of the sermon, was like, I wanted to like, kind of type a little bit of my own, but use this as a reference, and then why I'm streaming, I can have it set up and be like, hey, by the way, why there's a loading screen or whatever, hey, there's this, and talk about it. And it's pretty neat how you can do streaming because I can have my webcam in the corner, but then I can have what I have pulled up on the on the internet or whatever on one little screen too, my game, and like a title or whatever at the bottom, and it'll all show. And then, oh. and then there's scenes, so there's scenes, and you can actually like, if you have something on a separate scene, that let's say we're no longer playing the game. I can press that scene, it'll close the game away, and then I'll have other things pulled up at the same time. So I can have like four or five screens, whatever uh, sources I have put up there, like either a web page or a, uh, another video or uh, whatever. And then you can also add effects to those when you transition scenes. So if I'm actual fully live streaming, let's say I'm live streaming for like an hour or two, and I have it, it's like, hey guys, I'll be right back. I can switch that sh uh, screen to where it's it's just uh, um, where it's intermission, and then it'll just sit there on that uh, on that intermission. And when I come back, 
then I can open it back up and there'll be a transition to either whatever I'm doing. Right. So I can also put text on the screen yeah. while I'm doing it. And then while also while I'm live streaming it, there's a there's like a ten to twenty second lag. So like if I need to put a a quote on the screen, I can I can go to my preview screen and I can write a quote and then I'll save it and then when I transfer uh, transfer to that next scene, it'll be on there. So everything live streamed I can do, and I'm, I can do things while I'm live streaming, to edit while I'm live streaming, like the, the screen, I can edit the screen. So it's different than than just like recording and everything, alright, now let's put it in this and clip it and cut it and try to move things around and all that stuff and then make a whole long video. This is all done while you're doing it. So if you do mess up, I guess, guess what, there's no re-recording to mess up. You just got to fix yourself while you do it. Just that's kind of like when you're speaking up here. It's like when you're speaking, you mess up on something. You're like, hey, wait, hold up, I actually. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. It's live. So, I mean, Annabelle's like, because I was having so much difficulty, I was getting so frustrated and upset for the last couple of days about I couldn't figure out or understand it. Oh, you'll have that, but it'll start coming to you. I now felt I felt really discouraged because. The kids were really acting up. My wife was yelling off, and I was getting frustrated. One, I'm trying to do this, and then she's screaming at me, "Hey, get off! I need your help." I think I'll try another time. Yeah, yeah, because I had I had a idea of like I wanted to put something out on Friday, just do it, and then it didn't work out like I wanted it to. And I got caught, started getting discouraged. I was about I was so discouraged. Just calm yourself down, shut it down. Do something else. Come back to it when you get the next opportunity. Yeah. Because you don't need any discouragement. But that's what those kind of things can do. Technology can really do a number. I know because things were working out. Like my mic was reverbing, and my mic was like having a squeal sound kind of way when I was recording because it was working. I was getting into what I wanted to do, and then my mic started messing up on my headset. And I was because I was using my headset as a microphone because it has a microphone on it. And I was like, what is going on with this? It's not working because I got it where I wanted to, and then something else popped up. But think of it this way. Nobody sees that. Whenever I'm up here, and let's say a chord goes bad, I have to deal with that. I don't have a stage hand. It's just me. <laughs> what am I going to do? Or, you know, that something up here is acting up, or, you know, the microphone. You just kind of wing it then. And then you, you got to make a, a quick mend. But try not to. I try not to take much time because boy, that that but this was like the worst. This was like the whole time I was recording. Because I was recording, I was like playing a game and everything, just testing it out, just seeing how it works. And I was talking. I was kind of my wife was sitting next to me, so I was just chatting just to get some voices to see how it sounds. And in record, I was excited. I was like, yeah, I did it. And then my wife was listening to it. She's like, there's a really bad reverb every time you talk. And you had it. Yeah. And it's like. I wish we could take that reverb out. It'll take you. I don't know if it's like picking up my mic on my camera and my and my headset. Is it still there? The reverb? Yeah. Did you finally figure it out? I haven't figured it out. Do you have speakers that are playing the audio? How loud do you? My speakers are shut off and my computer really doesn't like. They're kind of a cheaper speaker. Who's fucking USB to turn them on and then it takes audio from the from the back of the computer. So it 
doesn't really. The computer notices something's there, but it's nothing like, hey, there's this. Like it does with a webcam. Like it knows it's a webcam. It knows it's pushing out. They're a little cheap, so. So export doesn't export doesn't because I want I want uh, I want to why I'm playing. I'm also hearing it. So like, uh, not my voice. I don't want to hear my voice. I just want to hear everything that's going on. Yeah. The game, and everything that's going on. That's why sometimes it's like, like, it's if I'm not in like that box, it doesn't that box, and then I find out how to do that, like, I'm Steam is just the thing that plays games. You can play, it's an application that you can play all your games and stuff on. You just download it uh, onto the computer. And so it works for that and it'll pick it up. But then when I start talking through my mic on my headset, it, it decides that it wants to like, have this quick half a second later and you can hear it. So there's a delay, is what you're saying. Not a delay. So I'm talking, talking. Talking, talking. But you're hearing an answer. Okay, it's more than a reverb. There's an echo going. Oh, there's an echo really. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like, I don't know where that echo's coming from. Like it's a real half a second echo. But it makes a makes a problem. Like I wonder if it's from the from the mic to the computer. Yeah, the yeah. Issue yeah. Of the yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's also yeah. picking up my webcam. Oh, there's a webcam mic, oh. and there's my mic. There you go. I did, and I said nothing because he said audio. Like, I don't know what I'm thinking about what if I just get a mic, an actual mic, instead of a headset because this is a I'm like, I'm IT, I should figure something out here. <laughs> it's just playing a lot with it, being just being patient. And when you were like, I just want to start, and you can't because there's too many issues. Alright man, you guys have a good one? Yeah, you too. See you guys later. Yeah. Have a good day. Appreciate it. Where'd you guys go yesterday? I worked yesterday. Oh, my whole week was thrown off because I took Monday off to drive home so we didn't have to rush out. And so Tuesday I thought it was Monday, Wednesday I thought it was Tuesday. And then we got mandated for Saturday. The other Tuesday you had to work overtime. Yeah, where, where do you work? What's up? Oh, building transformers. Yeah. Are they hiring by any chance? <laughs> All the time. Yeah, they're always hiring. Yeah. It's physical work. There's a lot of hands-on stuff. They start at, what, 20 an hour or something like that? Hour right now. I'm, I think I'm, I'm walking on thin ice in my, in my job, and I need to be out. And so that may 
I want something physical more than sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. Drives me nuts sometimes. I like sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. But you, you, you may now do it, but why don't you do it all week for eight hours a day? I used to. <laughs> but you enjoyed the editing? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy it. But yeah, the only, only thing you have to keep in mind with Hitachi is you might not get to Today would be a good day. You might have to build up some steel. Today would be good. We just look at kings and we just look at kings and we know what we're going on. We're going to have a nice looking guest. 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 We're going to have a nice looking guest.
Interesting. All I found was interesting was the other day was a female cardinal right before it rained. 
was in the third bath, which I was concerned was a drink bath, and we drink in a bath, but anyway, it was it was just a flopping around, there was a little bit of water left, and there was a female course, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, because right where I was sitting, I could see it perfect, if I moved her, she probably was scared her off. She's there, and then there comes a little house bench, a little red house bench coming, and standing there watching her. Oh, they do on that. 